after we are born again, we often have immediate tests to see if we will obey God. And for the remainder of our life on this earth, we have things arise in our lives to see if we will hold on to the faith. Jesus says in Matthew 24 concerning the end times, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. I believe he's speaking of the love of many for the word of God and things of God will wax cold because iniquity abounds in their life around them or they it abounds on television where they choose to see the iniquity. Jesus goes on in verse 13 to say, But he that endures unto the end shall be saved. It really is a constant fight for faith in God. It goes on as long as we live on this present earth. I'm currently 82 years old and have had many big battles of faith where I would lose everything if it didn't work out. And I've had many seemingly small battles, small tests, trials, which seem rather insignificant. But I know they were very important and critical that I made make the right choice, holding on to the way of God. And I am persuaded that every time we do a portion of the Word of God, that we are recreated into the image of Christ who is the Word. The Word existed long before Jesus came in the form of Jesus. The Word existed from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's John chapter 1. For the rest of our lives, the battle is over the Word. Do we believe that word is from God. If we believe that word is from God, we then have to decide to obey that word and follow it as far as the instruction takes us. This test goes on the remainder of our lives. Sometimes we will, after several years, we will have tests to see if we will choose faith even when there is depression, discouragement, blackness, and we can't see anything that makes us think that the things of God are going to work out for us. In those times, we have to just Grab the Word of God and hold on to it and not let go. Sort of like Jacob wrestled the angel and wouldn't let go until he blessed him. It's the same thing with us. We just say, 
I am going to believe. We grab something from the Word of God and we hold on to it until the test ends. And that's not going to be the end. We never arrive. It goes on the rest of our life. God is in us by the Spirit of God as long as we hold on, as long as we are determined not to let go of the Word. Then that Word is in us. But make no mistake, there are fiery trials which try you. That's what Peter said. Don't think it's strange because of the fiery trial that is to try us. For that's common. To see if we will hold on to the word, if it's that important to us. Mark chapter 1 verse 9. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now what happens? This is an immediate, I mean, this is a really strong word. Thou art my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. A great victory. But then what? Verse 12. And immediately... The Spirit of God driveth him, Jesus, into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. Matthew chapter 4. And when he, Jesus, had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward hungered. So the devil's going to tempt him at the point where he's likely to be able to win out. Verse 3 of Matthew 4. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. Jesus is hungry. Satan is tempting him to prove that he's the son of God. But Jesus isn't going to go along with Satan. Verse 4, he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And this is so true. God speaks to us, often by having the Holy Spirit remind us of a scripture. We focus on that scripture. We live by that scripture. 
God also speaks to us by bringing a thought to our mind that has no scripture at all. And we live by that word, for that's as much a part of the word of God as is the scripture. We obey the word of God regardless of the form that it has come to us in. If it's the word of God, that's all that matters. If we believe God has said that to us, that is what we must hold fast to. As a brand new Christian, I owned a business in Dallas, Texas. It was an American arts business. A young woman came into my business and bought a book about turquoise. A few days later, she came and wanted a refund on the book. I explained to her that we did not give refunds on books. We are not a library. She became quite hostile, demanding a refund. I reached to pick up the telephone. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. She said something like, go ahead, call the police. I was going to call and have her removed from my shop. But when she said, go ahead, call the police, I stopped, hesitated. That was a mistake. At that point, it ended up that we grabbed each other. She ended up pushing me all the way to the back of the shop. A woman who worked for me witnessed the situation. And then the girl said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And she fled the business. I was sorry it happened. It was silly. It was one of those spur-of-the-moment things that it just goes completely haywire. A few days later in my mailbox, there was a warrant issued for my arrest on an assault charge. If I did not answer the warrant, they would put me in jail. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. This girl went away and filed an assault charge against me. I had no doubt in my mind she thought she would get money. Nevertheless, I was in a serious position. If I lost this case, that girl could have gotten everything I owned, every possession I owned. As I was dealing with this matter, I heard the following words which I believe to be from God. Don't testify. I believed it was from God. That's all you have to do is believe it's from God and then follow the instructions, regardless of what happens in your life. Well, it was a major test, I will tell you, because my whole side of my people turned against me. The woman that witnessed it was so angry when she found out I was not going to testify because she said now... All the burden is upon me. And I said to her, but what can I do? I believe God has told me, don't testify. So I can't testify. Of course, that made no sense to her. She attended a church, a Methodist church. All her life she'd been a Methodist. But 
Things like that didn't make any sense to her. The man I was dating said, Joan, you are not doing this girl any favor by not testifying. I said to Bob, who also claimed to be a Christian, I said to Bob, Bob, I'm not trying to do her any favor. I am trying to obey God. I believe God said to me, don't testify. And I'm simply trying to do what I believe God said to do. Well, Bob didn't understand either. I told my lawyer, I said, you might not want to represent me in this case because I believe I've heard from God not to testify. My lawyer said, no, Joan, he says, I think we'll win this case. Flo saw the whole thing. Her testimony will be strong enough. We'll win with her testimony. But if you would testify, I know we would win. We got to court. The judge was sitting there with his head down, scribbling on a piece of paper, paying no attention basically to us. And then I guess it was my lawyer who said uh, I was not going to testify. The judge froze, and he raised his head and looked directly at me. He dropped his pencil and said, You're not testifying? It was like a hammer. I replied, no, sir. The court trial began, and it was on a Friday, and the judge carried the trial over to a Monday, asking us to present a receipt for this sale of this book. I had handled the situation myself, and I am just terrible with paperwork. Everybody from my team went to the shop during the recess of the weekend. We went to the shop to hunt the receipt. I have no hope whatsoever that we would find that receipt because I'm so bad at paperwork. A $15 book, I could have thrown it in the garbage, the receipt. I was probably rather upset. Bob, the man I had been dating, told me, he said, Joan, go back to your apartment. We will hunt the receipt. Bob and the women who worked for me and one of the husbands of the women who, woman who worked for me were all at my business hunting the receipt. I went home. Amazingly, they found it. I had stuffed the receipt in a piece of black pottery, and they found it inside a piece of pottery. In the meantime... Now, I'm a new Christian. I have not been born again very long. I didn't have much scripture in me, but I had the Spirit of God in me, even though I didn't know at that time what the Spirit of God does in you. But I did have the Spirit of God in me. But I said to God, as they were hunting that receipt, which was very important for the court trial. I said to God, I sure hope you know what you're doing. We're going to lose this case. Well, I was wrong. We did not lose the case. But I I really, it was a tremendous test for me. At one point, my lawyer said to me, Flo's testimony didn't go as well as I had expected. 
but if you would testify, we will win this case. I said to my lawyer, well, let me see, and I left the courtroom, went into the ladies' room, said to God, what do you want me to do? In my mind, immediately came the words, don't testify. I went back into the courtroom. The lawyer looked at me immediately, and I just shook my head, no, I can't testify. I don't know whether this was some kind of spiritual gift of faith I was given. I don't see how I could have ever held out as a new Christian, but I did. Because I believed that was God speaking to me. If you believe God has spoken something to you, you have to do it that way. You absolutely have to. Well, we won the case. I was acquitted of all charges. But it was a very big test. But it was just one of many very big tests. At one point, I had been put on radio, and then God told me the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And then God showed me sins that various big-time radio television ministers were doing. I tried to get the message to these ministers, but I couldn't get past the people that opened their mail, even though I said it, I'm, I'm a prophet. So I decided just to present the message on my radio broadcast. God had shown me a scripture where Paul talked about Alexander the coppersmith and warned the church about Alexander the coppersmith. And by that scripture, I had enough faith that this was a proper thing to do. I could not get the message to the ministers. So I just presented it on my radio broadcast, what had been done, named the minister by name, and told what they did. The message then reached the minister in each situation. Radio station managers began threatening to put me off the air. Two of them put me off the air immediately. They were owned by Jimmy Swaggart, who was one of the ministers involved in the situation. Later he committed uh, adultery. I'm not laughing about that. But the problem with Swaggart is he started out as an evangelist. He was also a country western singer. And he would sing some songs, but he would speak the word that he, the uh, word, I suppose the word that God had given him. And he was only drawing about 500 people to his meetings, and he wanted a lot more people to come to his meetings. He was at that time registered with Michael Ellison Advertising Agency, and their agent told me this story. He wanted more people at his meetings, so the agency figured this out for Swagger. Stop preaching so much and sing more. Do a lot more music. When Swagger did that, the audiences came into the thousands of people where they had been around 500. But the message I had from, for Swagger that I believed to be from God was stop entertaining the people and preach the word of God. That was the message I had from Swagger. 
I didn't know about the adultery he was committing at that time, but it came out shortly after. For all to see, it was on national news. But my message was, stop entertaining the people with that music and go back to preaching the word of God. He owned the two stations, in one in Dallas and one radio station in Houston. They immediately terminated the broadcast. The minute I spoke it, I was off the air without warning. They just stopped it. Other stations began questioning whether they should leave me on the air. My calling is Apostle Prophet. At one point, I was with the ad agency, Ellison, Michael Ellison, my own pastor, Robert Tilton, said to me at the time, Joan, there's this agency, Michael Ellison Advertising Agency. I'm one of their clients. Uh, Kenneth Copeland is one of their clients. Marilyn Hickey is one of their clients. Jimmy Swaggart had been their client. They can do you a lot of good. You need to get them to represent you. So I became one of their uh, clients ever so shortly. I was only with them about three months. They told me to do things that I couldn't do. For example, they said, we can fill Soldiers and Sailors Auditorium in Pittsburgh for you. All you have to do is this. Don't speak anything that offends anyone. I'm a prophet. That's the job of prophets is to carry correction messages to the church. We're not sent to the world. We're sent to the church. We are going to constantly upset people in the churches who are doing wrong because we're going to be bringing a light to show them the wrong that they're doing and they're going to be furious with us. Ministers get angry with us. Individuals get angry with us. The minute the light is shined on the sin that they are doing, they strike out at us. This is what's happened all through the Bible. The Old Testament and the New Testament. There was no way I could obey the agency and do what they said. They were trying to make me popular. And in order to make me popular, there were things they told me to do. Another thing was to put on all of my envelopes the word, send me your prayer request. And I said, oh, I don't want to do that. And they were shocked. I said, no, no, the people should pray. Not They shouldn't turn to me for prayer. They should pray directly to God. Through Jesus, not through me. When I objected, the agent looked at me and said, well, Joan, you are missing a good bet. For when they put that money, when they put that prayer request in an envelope, they usually put some money in the envelope with the prayer request. It was a fundraising gimmick. I never did that. And another thing the agency told me to do, we don't want you to send out any printed material at all until we approve it. Send it to us first, 
to edit it. Oh, a prophet can't live that way. A minister of God can't live that way. You have to speak the message God gives you. You can't be edited by an advertising agency or anybody else. Paul said in Galatians 1, Do I now please men or God? For if I yet pleased men, I would not be the servant of God. I had a meeting in Seattle during that time and at the convention center waiting for me outside the meeting room door was the radio station manager. George had always been very friendly to me and I greeted him as I always greeted him, friendly. But he was very reserved. He said to me, Joan, you have many good messages. Just speak those messages. But if you keep speaking these judgment messages, I don't know what's going to happen to you. We may have to put you off the air. Immediately, the Holy Spirit arose in me, and I said to George, George, if I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God, then I don't have a message, and I may as well be off the air. And that ruled over the rest of my life. Speak the message that you believe to be from God. When we first started the podcast in February of 2020, Pam Paget had had a word in January brought to her mind just as she awoke in the morning podcast. She reached for her Kindle and looked up the word podcast and found out what it was. At that time, I had been considering going back on radio. Pam told me what had happened and told me what a podcast was, and I thought it sounded great that maybe we would do that. So I began praying about it, and that same night that I prayed, I had a dream where I opened my front door and kittens were everywhere, white kittens. They were at the left-hand side of my door. They were at the right-hand side of my door. They were starving to death. They were waiting for me to feed them. Some couldn't even stand. They were so starved. I went into my garage in this dream, and they were out there too, waiting to be fed. And I said to God when I woke, I said, what am I supposed to do about all these starving kittens? And I knew it was the church. I knew it was confirmation to do the podcast. When Pam told me about podcasts, she mentioned that she had read that there were certain things that I guess she couldn't speak or they warned you against, and one of them had to do something about homosexuals. I paid absolutely no attention to that. I recorded what the Bible says. I didn't make up these rules, but we are to abide by these rules. Romans chapter 1 concerning homosexuals and lesbians starts at verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, 
burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. God calls it vile affections. God calls it that in the Bible. Can you be saved? Yes, if you repent and stop doing it. It's just like adultery. The woman taken in adultery, what did Jesus say to her? Go and sin no more. When they see that the homosexual lesbian acts are vile affections as described in the Bible, and they stop and repent, certainly they can be saved. Just like a drunkard could be saved if he stopped being a drunkard. But you can't be saved by continuing in the act that is evil in the sight of God. I have recorded podcasts on the subject of homosexuals and lesbians. I've, just, I've recorded podcasts on the subject of remarriage, uh, divorce and remarriage. And that's a really dynamite subject. People get so upset over that. I believe they get more upset over that than any subject that I have ever uh recorded or seen. I uh, received information a long time ago from God that the Lord's Supper is not crackers and grape juice. The Lord's Supper is partaking of the Word of God correctly, eating and drinking the Word of God correctly. I thought people would be furious with me when I recorded that for radio. Back in those days, I was on radio. Anyway, I recorded the message. I didn't have any objection whatsoever from anyone in the church people. They didn't care. I, I don't know why they didn't care. I thought they would go crazy. But when I recorded about divorce and remarriage and adultery, there was plenty of response. They really got upset with that. That's why Herod beheaded John the Baptist because John the Baptist told Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. It's adultery. And for that reason, Herod beheaded John the Baptist. Pam Paget was very strongly tested as a new believer. She had been a Catholic. One of her classmates got killed, and Pam realized that if she died, she didn't have what she needed to go to heaven. And she was terrified, and she called out to God. It's a very charming story because she called out and said, I know there's God the Father, and there's Jesus, and there's the Holy Spirit, but I don't know which one I'm supposed to pray to, so will you please get this prayer to the right person? <laughs> and she went on to pray and say, I, I need help, I need help. You're the only one who can help me. <laughs> well, after that, after praying that, she realized there was something of God inside her. But she didn't know what it was. And it took years before she saw what it was. One day she was reading in 1 Corinthians 6, and it says, Know ye not that the Holy Ghost is in you? And she thought, that's it. That's what's inside me. But she, after she was born again, she left the Catholic Church and went to a non-denominational church. 
She went to the singles class. There was a woman in the singles class who was going to get married. She was a divorced woman. Pam went to her and shared the scripture with her that if you remarry after being divorced, you will commit adultery. That scripture is in several places. It's in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 10 and 11. Paul said, let not the wife depart from her husband. And Paul said, this is a commandment of the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or return, be reconciled with her husband. In Romans chapter 7, there's a very strong exhortation about the subject of a woman divorcing and remarrying. Paul said it will be adultery. Jesus said it would be adultery, and he talked about it in Matthew 5.32. If the divorced woman remarries, she commits adultery, and the man who marries her commits adultery. So Pam gave these scriptures to that woman at that church group. The woman said to Pam, I don't care what the Bible says. Poor Pam, she was so shocked. She thought, well, this is a church. Of course, everybody cares what the Bible says. <laughs> well, they don't. The people in the churches, not every, I would find very few who really cared what the Bible says. There are a few. But the majority of them will not do Scripture when you present Scripture to them. They, it's foolishness to them. They're not born again. They put themselves in the church by going forward and being baptized in water. But they're not born again. They're not, they don't have the Spirit of God. Or they join the church and they don't have the Spirit of God. They followed their families to church without having the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, because they're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. Well, you start telling them, if you marry a divorced woman, you commit adultery, and it's just going to be foolish to them. They're just going to think you're archaic, if they're not born again. Anyway, Pam told this to these people, and they went on and married, and the preacher at that church performed the ceremony, marrying them in the church. Later, God told Pam, said, what are you doing here in this um, church? He said, I told you to get out. Now get out. Pam said, well, when did you tell me to get out? Well, she had read some of the writings that I had done that you can't stay in those churches where they changed the doctrine from away from the Bible because those churches are Antichrist. And God reminded her of what I had said. Pam left that church. But she suffered a lot of persecution in that church after she delivered the message on adultery. The singles class at that church had a place in the auditorium where they always sat together. Pam went to that place where the singles class sat, and she sat down in that place, though she hadn't been to the singles class meeting. She sat down there and expecting them to come and sit by her. 
but they didn't show up. She looked around the auditorium, and they were sitting a few rows back. The next time she went to the church service, she sat down a few rows back, and they sat in the old place, away from her. And the third time she went, they were seated in the auditorium. She went in and sat down where they were seated, and without a word, every one of them got up and left and moved to another place. And Pam cried out to God, What have I done? Thinking she had done wrong somehow. They didn't want to be around her. Well, what she had done is speak the word of God to them. A few weeks later, a woman came to her and said to her, I have a message for, from God for you. God wants you to know why they are treating you the way they are treating you. He knows the way they are treating you at this church. And he wants you to know you did what he wanted in speaking the word of God to them. These are incredible stories, but this is the type of persecution that comes from the words, for the word's sake, when we follow the word. It's not unusual. We will suffer loss very often when we speak the word of God. And I found that usually the persecution comes from the people who say they are Christians. That's not at all unusual. Prophets are always sent to the church, not to the world. All through the Bible, we see them sent to the church. To the uh, church, in Matthew twenty-three, Jesus said, "If I had sent you to the world, they would have listened to you, but the church won't listen to you because they're impudent and hard-hearted. They won't listen to me." And yet, he sent the prophets to the church. And if you look at any of the prophets of the Old Testament, every one of them were persecuted by the church. They carried the word of God to the church, and the church persecuted them and killed them, ran them away, stoned them. They were persecuted for the word's sake, and we are too. And Paul says in Second Timothy chapter 3, Yea, all who will live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And it's usually the church people persecuting you because they are sinning and they don't believe the word. They, in fact, are antichrist. They go in an opposite way from the scriptures. The word God gives us by the Holy Spirit can be a scripture or it can be a thought or it can be a dream. But when you share it, very often, the people that you share it with do not want to hear it, and they turn against you. When Joseph shared the dream from God with his brothers, they hated him because of the dream. And then he had another dream from God, and he shared it, and his father rebuked Joseph because of that dream. But the dream came to pass in both cases. And actually, Joseph ended up saving his whole family 
because he ended up, after they sold him into slavery, he ended up ruling over the whole nation of Egypt because that's what God wanted to happen. And by being the ruler and controlling all the food, he saved the entire nation of Israel who came down to Egypt to get food. And at one point, Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that's the way it really is. Following the word of God is like that. It can look like it's going to turn out terribly for you. And looking back on it, after you have done the word of God and suffered the persecution and suffered the loss, because many times you'll lose money over doing the word of God, you may lose a job, you may lose family. But when you look back years later, I'm going to have to tell you that I'm glad I said every word I ever said that was of God. Because God put me in a very strong place at the end of my life. I'm 82 right now. At the end of my life, I'm in the best position I've ever been in. I have absolutely no debt. I have money in a bank account. I live with another person who is very godly and has the same spirit I have. There is nothing like that. This is the first time I've ever lived with anyone who had the same spirit I have. It's wonderful. At the end of my life, it's much better than any other part of my life prior to this time. I'm in the best part of my life. We have the blog. It cost us no money at all to present messages all over the world on the blog. I write books on Amazon. It cost us no money to publish those books on Amazon. And they go all over the world. And now I have the podcast to broadcast these messages all over the world. And the cost for the podcast, we have to have a podcast host. The cost is $100 per year per year that's laughable i'm at a great time where my messages are not edited by anybody i can speak freely as a prophet of god sharing with you whatever god wants you to hear and i pray constantly please show me what to write and speak what you want spoken There is a testing for each of us. I believe we are often tested. Will you do this word? Will you hold to this word? Will you do this and leave your relatives that are going an opposite way from the word? Will you do the word? Will you do it when it costs you money and you're going to get maybe even lose your job? Will you do the word? Abraham was so tested. It's such a wonderful example of doing the word of God. Let's read about that. We'll start in Genesis 12. Verse 1. 
Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. When Abraham left, he didn't know where he was going. He just trusted God to show him where to go. But what he had to do was leave his country, leave his kindred, leave his father. Many of you are confronted with this at this moment. You have church relatives that have totally different doctrines from what you know to be right. Their doctrines are different from the Bible. You shared those doctrines in the Bible. They just stare at you blankly and just buy their time until you shut up. They don't want to hear your, what you say. Once in a while, they'll challenge you. Where's that in the Bible? You show them, and it doesn't matter to them. After you show them, they go right on with what they were doing. You're trying to be friendly with them. You're trying to keep your fleshly association with those people and follow God at the same time. We are down to a very interesting point in life. I think we're down to a time that we just never have been in before. I think we are on the threshold of the return of Jesus. It may be still decades. I don't know. Nobody knows. But we are somewhere different in space than we were in 1940. In 1940, people were still... It was a shame for a woman to get pregnant before she was married. What is it today? Well, they boast about it, brag about it. It's horrible. The sin is much worse today. Increased sin shows us we are drawing nearer to the judgment of God, which comes to judge the sin. And in the churches, we've got Antichrist everywhere. And it's increasing. And that shows us we're closer to the return of Jesus. Because Paul tells us in Second Thessalonians 2 that Antichrist could not come unless there was first a falling away and Antichrist was revealed. Antichrist is not one man. Antichrist is a spirit that's in all of these churches where they cast out scripture. That's Antichrist. And the people sitting there where they cast out Scripture go along with the casting out of Scripture and the new doctrine. They are Antichrist also. And you're trying to be friends with these people because they're your relatives. You're trying to make them feel good about what they're doing. You're not going to make it. You won't. So what did Abram do? He did what God told him. He left his country. He left his kindred. He left his father's house. And he went out into a land which he didn't even know where he was going. Now later there was a much bigger test for Abraham. Genesis 22. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And God said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering 
upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Abraham didn't postpone this. He did it immediately. When God tells you something, you don't want to hesitate. You don't want to give the devil time to talk you out of doing the thing that God told you to do. Once you believe it's God telling you, you do it immediately. On December 6, 2018, I fell at my house in Texas where I had been living alone. And as the ambulance workers rolled me past the front door of my house, I heard these words, You will never see this house again. I was taken to the hospital where I was awaiting surgery. And I put the house up for sale even while I was in the hospital. One of our church members saw all this and she said, I just don't see how you can do this. I said, well, I heard from God, I'll never see this house again. That's how I can do it. When you hear a word from God, do it. When you believe it's God, you do the word. So Abram's got Isaac out there near Mount Moriah in order to slay him as God told him to do. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Yes, Abraham was going to slay Isaac. We read in Hebrews 7 that Abraham reasoned that God could raise Isaac from the dead, even if he slayed Isaac. And actually, he knew Isaac came from the dead because he came from two dead people. Abraham was 100, and I think Sarah was 90 at the time Isaac was born. They were both good as dead, and here they produce a child because of the promise of God. Abraham knew God could raise Isaac, even if he killed him. And Abraham was going to do the word of God. So he took the knife to slay his son. Verse 11, And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abram, Abram. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Our whole role in life is to obey the word of God when the Holy Spirit brings it to us. It can be a scripture. It can be a word like don't testify. 
As soon as we believe, our role is to obey. And he that endures to the end, the same will be saved. You go through your entire life on this earth doing that word of God, believing when you hear the word and doing it, forsaking all in order to do that word, doing whatever is necessary in order to do the word of God. That is the common role of every person born again, who is born again. And if you refuse to do the word and keep the word in your mind, You can be turned over to a reprobate mind, Romans chapter 1, because you refuse to keep the word in the front of your mind and you went another way. And there are many people today who are reprobate. They were once born again, but they've been turned over by God to a reprobate mind. It says to do that which is not convenient. Romans chapter 1, verse, I think it's 29, you can look that up. It's either 28 or 29. And there were many who were never born again and are Antichrist, going the opposite way of Christ in the churches, approving things opposite to Scripture in the New Testament, to the Bible, New Testament Bible, failing to follow the Scripture. And there are many that just didn't follow the Word given to them. And they're not with us anymore. Our whole role is doing the word of God, choosing it. One more example. As a new believer, I went to a small church called Believer's Chapel in Dallas. Their professors, their pastors were professors at Dallas Theological Seminary. One professor was teaching that tongues was of the devil. I read a scripture in... 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where the Apostle Paul said covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak in tongues. Well, not only were they forbidding tongues at this church group, but they were teaching tongues were of the devil. Now, I'd never heard a tongue. I didn't even know anything about tongues. But I knew what the Bible said. I'd come across that scripture and I knew what they were doing at this church was exactly opposite to the Bible. And I told my best friend who went to that church. And she said, where did you see that? And I said, well, it's in the Bible. It's in 1 Corinthians. It was in chapter 14. We went to her house. She had translations of all kinds of translations of the Bible at her house. She got every one of the translations and every one of them said the same thing, forbid not to speak in tongues. I said to Donna, well, I'm not going back to that church. They teach the opposite from the Bible. And Donna said, well, I'm not going back either. That is our responsibility. No matter what the situation is, is to believe the word of God and uphold the word of God and to do that even unto our own death, even when it costs us relatives, Friends, reputation, money. Because the only thing that matters on this earth is the Word of God. 
often I will look at famous actors and actresses and I admire good acting. But I think, and what do they have at the end of their life? They have all of this greatness through their acting, but do they, what do they have then for all eternity? All of these people who are praised so highly on this earth for various things, what do they have now after they're dead? That's all that matters. But really, the thing that matters is the Word of God. You should love the Word of God more than you love your own life or your friends or your money or your reputation. Jesus told Peter when Jesus was getting ready for them to crucify him and they came to get him Peter was upset and he drew his sword and Jesus said put up your sword Peter don't you know that I could call on my father and he would send me 12 legions of angels but if I did that how could the word be fulfilled so he suffered death to fulfill the word and to do the will of God And he suffered a death on the cross, which is the worst death you could have. That's what it is. is. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. If you don't love the Word of God that much, you don't have anything. And what did Jesus say? In the last days, because iniquity will abound, that many would grow cold. Many, the love of many would grow cold. I think it's the love of many for the word of God that would grow cold. We have to fight the fight of faith. Don't make any mistake about that. As long as we're on this earth, we're fighting to believe God, to uphold what God has said, and to go in the way of God. And even in the darkest moments, We are grabbing onto the word and saying, I'm not letting go. I'm going to do it this way, even unto death. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.